Hello, and welcome to episode five of the Elevate Music podcast. I'm Lucy Heyman, and in this episode, I'm going to be chatting to Sean Ryder, frontman of Happy Mondays and Black Grape, about stage fright. So Sean had a really difficult time with it when he first started performing, so we're going to hear more about that and also about the character X that he created to deal with it. I also spoke to one of the world's leading researchers in health and well-being for musicians, Professor Aaron Williamson, about how stage fright affects musicians and what they can do about it. So first of all, let's hear Sean's story. We started a band when I was 18 years old. I was the oldest, the rest of the boys was 15. Still at school, actually, and the rest is history. <laughs> we're still here, we're still doing it, you know. So could you tell me about one of your earliest experiences of stage fright? Well, God, really. I mean, from day one, I mean, I was a show-off at school, but, you know, I was a class clown. I mean, back in the 60s and 70s, you didn't know what d- dyslexia was or ADD. I'm ADD, not ADHD, I'm ADD. So I was a class clown. I couldn't, you know, pick up on things. I, I, to this day, it's like if you explain the rules of a game to me, I just don't get it. I have to see you doing it. Anyway, by the time the band comes along, after being the class clown and the show off in front of my mates, I, I really couldn't get to grips with going out on people. It's like, you know, most times when you've heard other musicians talk or other performers talk, they go... I really come alive when I go out in front of the crowd and I'm out in the crowd and I'm there. And when I finished, I'm uh, I'm just not there. And with me, it was exactly the opposite. You know, I'd just shrivel up. You know, I'm thinking, am I a real writer, musician? Because I don't thrive on that being in front of everybody, you know, on stage. I mean, especially because we started off playing universities, Whereas a kid who didn't learn his alphabet till I was 28 years old and you're going to, you know, university kids, it was like, oh, God, I don't want to do this. I'd rather be in the wheel tappers and shunters. So can you tell me about how it affected you? Well, it affected me basically with alcohol and, and drugs. You know, it wasn't good because no matter what you try and do or tell yourself or anything, I would just shake you know, I'm going out there to be the big man at the front of a band, wiggling me hips and all that lot. It's somebody who you're touching your nose to his forehead and I've got to wiggle me hips and, and, and do something that I just thought wasn't what geezers do, even though I see Mick Jagger and all that lot doing it. It wasn't me, you know, and you have to do this. And when you're starting off in the clubs where there's no stage and you're on level and eye contact, you know, and you're... Doing this, it was just hard work. And it also made me very violent and angry, you know. I'd want to beat up the kid that was stood right in front of me because I'm thinking, do you think you're intimidating me? And so when you started playing like bigger venues and you weren't, didn't have that eye contact, did that change at all? Well, it was easier because the bigger the venues, the less personal and the more showbiz it is. So I never had a problem in playing in front of 10, 20, 30, 60, 80,000 people or whatever. Really? I didn't have a problem with that because that was showbiz to me. That wasn't eye-level, dead-close contact, grassroots tackle. That was real showbiz. So to me, that was easy. Mm. Well, it was easier, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So you've obviously written a number of books and you've done so many interviews. And Do you find that you get 
stage fright in other areas apart from performance? Well, no, I mean, this is just down to age, really, you know. I mean, um, as a young kid, you're insecure about lots of things. And as a, as a man now, you know, pushing 60, now even really when I got to 40, I changed, naturally changed. You know, I sat the drugs and I got more confident just in myself. My drug addiction was really caused by me and being in Manchester in the early 80s when heroin flooded the market and it was easier to get than a bottle of pop. Do you think you used drugs as a way of coping with stage fright? I used heroin as a way of coping with life. And what other ways did you find to make the stage fright easier? Booze and heroin. Nothing touches you. With heroin, it became my drug of choice. Nothing could touch me. You wouldn't get an emotional response. And that was great to me. So how did it change when you came off drugs? Well, again, it was a different age. I'd hit 40 and thought, well, wait a minute. My children are growing up now. You know, they're becoming young adults. And I'm still living a life pretty much the same as a 16-year-old. Did you find performing more challenging when you came off the drugs? That was something that I had to stay away from for a long time. You know, I mean, the worst thing is to go back into your environment. You know, I mean, the mistake that's made over and over and over again is people think, oh, I've done two weeks or three weeks in a rehab and I'm going back into that world. And it's just not going to be done. You know, realistically, you need three or four years. So you're doing a lot of performing again now. Yeah. How can you tell me about that? How is that? Well, again, because I'm older and wiser, a little bit more grown up, you know, so, and, and, and you naturally fit into my body. I'm comfortable with me. I was an awkward kid, you know, I, I had a lot of learning difficulties and everything else and a lot to prove to people. And as you get older and you work out yourself, you know, what life's about or whatever, you just work it out and feel a lot more comfortable. So do you still get nervous now? I get nervous, yeah. Nowhere near, because I'm going on now and I can own it. You know, I really can. There is really nothing to be frightened of. And what do you do, like, if you still get nervous? What do you do about it? I I deal with it, you know. I mean, like I said, it's just working out you. I'm a show-off, but I'm not. I think a lot of musicians are like that. There's an extroverted side, but then you've got to be quite introverted to write the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not want to do gigs I was quite happy in our little bubble of a rehearsal room writing songs and playing them for us lot. You know, I was happy with that. When we had to sort of go out and then make some money to keep paying for your rehearsal and and everything else, you know, well, right, okay. Well, I was happy just playing away in our rehearsal room. Do you think being the front man made you more nervous? Do you think if you'd been a band member... Would you have been it in the same way? Dude, I wanted to be a drummer. Okay. You know, but I'm crap at being a drummer. I wanted to be a bass player, but I'm crap at being a bass player. You know, I mean, I got the job as songwriter because we all had a go and I was the best out of the bunch. So I was labelled songwriter. So did you find when you went on stage, you almost kind of inhabited another character? Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. I became X. Yeah. You know, my nickname from being a teenager is X. And I became X. And it's like when I've got to do TV now or stuff, or we just done Gogglebox, then he's Bez, not Mark, and I'm X, not Sean. We become Bert and Ernie. 
So how is it when you are not X anymore? How, what's it like when you're spending a lot of your life inhabiting a different character to like who you feel you are? Well, when I'm at home, I'm, I'm totally different. I'm not that dude on Gogglebox or whatever, you know, on yeah. TV. And, and I'm also not the guy in, in the band and the kid in, in the interviews for the music press. You know, that's X. Do you ever find it a bit of there's a bit of disconnect between those two characters, or are you quite oh, happy God. having that? Um, well, there is and there isn't. I sort of like it, but at the same time, I don't. Do you find that using that like X character helps to reduce stage fright at all? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was either X or Shelby Sean. So, for musicians listening, if they want, you know, if they're struggling with stage fright and they want to get some kind of artist character to yeah. step into, well, like, it's like comedians. You, Look at Lee Francis. Say? Lee Francis becomes Keith Lemon. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not in his head, but they invent, you know, these characters, loads of money or whatever you want to, you know. Yeah. I mean, in my sort of way was to do a similar thing, but become that guy in a band. So what makes your stage fright worse, would you say? What situations? Me. <laughs> I make it worse. But are there any situations you go in and you think, oh God, I know this is going to be really bad? Or do you think, oh yeah, no, I'll be fine in that situation? Well, yeah, now I'm going to be fine. I've yeah. been doing it for what, 38 years or something. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 57 next month. So I've been doing it since I was 18. When you were younger, were there things that made it worse? Just life. You know, it made everything worse. Yeah. So being dyslexic and ADD made it worse. You know. And did you get any help with that? Did you ever have any support? For no, it? not at all. I mean, good God, in the nineteen sixties and seventies, that stuff wasn't even heard of. You you get immersed in a life of of drugs to yeah. make you feel normal, make you fit in. I never felt like I fit fitted anywhere, but have some heroin, and I was as comfy as putting a pair of slippers on. It didn't make me gouch out and scratch. It made me walk about and, and chat. When I actually stopped the drugs when he hit 40, I got post-traumatic stress because I'd, I'd joined the game at 18 and at 40 years old, take away the drugs, I'm still 18. And a lot of stuff that happens, you know, which you never thought about, you just got on with your life, you know, either somebody shoving a gun in your eye socket or whatever... You know, in our, our really mad situations, they sort of hit you and you go, Ooh, oh, and then I've got to deal with that death of my nana and that death of someone in the family and that, which they don't touch you. So what did you do about that? I didn't get help at the time. I just, I mean, my wife really got me through all that, really big time. So you said earlier that you're happier now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And would you consider yourself healthy? I'm a pescatarian. I, I, you know, I mean, my favourite meal, I would eat fillet steak for breakfast, fillet steak for dinner, fillet steak for my evening meal dinner or whatever, and a, and a fillet steak for supper, you know, with some mushrooms. No vegetables. And I ate like that from as long as I can remember. You know, meat on the table in our family meant, oh, you was eating. What kind of things do you do to try and stay healthy apart from your diet? I mean, I did a, quite a lot of exercise, but I've not been able to do that for the last year because of, I mean, I climbed Snowden with uh, my hip busted. You know, I get the hip operation and it's great, but I, I mean, I've not been able to, I mean, I like cycling, you know, really, I, I love cycling and uh, I couldn't do that. I like swimming, couldn't do that. So that's been off, 
you know, the menu for a year. Will you be able to start doing that again soon, do you think? I'm doing it now. Oh, fantastic. I shouldn't be doing it oh. now. I've been told <laughs> I should not be swimming. Okay. I'm not allowed to go outside on my bike. Right. I can ride the bike in the house on the, you know, the exercise yeah. bike, but I'm not allowed to go out on my bike. Okay. But I do. I'm told that I should be walking around with my crutch, but I don't. The saying is I'm going a little bit too fast. Okay. Well, that's always how I've been, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I want that over with. I want that done. And finally, can you just tell me something that you love about your music career? How long we've been doing it. I'm very proud of that. You know, I mean, I get asked all the time, you know, when you got into this, did you still want to be doing it? it nearly 60. And, and the answer to that is, yeah, I got into this for life. I like making music. Yeah. I, I enjoy the fact when we're songwriting and we're getting tunes together, I enjoy that more. I might say now at the age I am, enjoying it on the stage. I do enjoy it now. I really do. I mean, we're all compass mente, you know, we're older and chilled out. So it really is, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, oh, don't you miss the old days? Well, no, I mean, I was 18 and 20 and 30 and I love that, but I also love where I am now. Sean, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. The Elevate Music Podcast is produced in partnership with Help Musicians, an independent charity that's been supporting musicians for nearly 100 years. Through an integrated programme of health and welfare services, the charity offers a lifetime of support when it's needed most. For more information on Help Musicians, or to find out how to access that support, visit helpmusicians.org.uk. In this next part, I spoke to Professor Aaron Williamson of the Centre of Performance Science. Could you start by telling me a little bit about how stage fright affects people physically and mentally? When people are experiencing performance anxiety, we can see basically three broad types of symptoms. The first will be somatic symptoms. So these are how the ways in which the body changes when some sort of anxious situation is, is underway. So we might see here that heart rate will go up and blood pressure will go up. We'll have a range of different physical effects that make us feel as though the stress of the situation is just a bit too much and unbearable. So in addition to that, the, another type of symptom that we see are cognitive symptoms. So this, these are negative patterns of thought where we might just automatically come to the assumption that something's going to go wrong in performance when there's no reason for really for us to be thinking in that way. This is usually a, um, an association with the circumstance with fear. And these are very, very powerful symptoms that can have an effect. And usually if you're in a pattern of thinking that something's going to go wrong, then it probably will. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then the third type of symptom that we see um, is called a, a behavioral symptom. So this is where people change their behavior in a way to compensate for their feeling of fear and anxiety. It might be a matter of being backstage and pacing back and forth or um, drinking a bit too much water or going to the toilet very much or talking a lot or talking not at all. So the issue with these types of symptoms is that they are very often not in our conscious awareness, but they're very obvious to other people. So you can see people fidgeting and walking back and forth and, and changing their behavior. So what it does is it telegraphs our feelings of anxiety out to the people who are watching us. So who typically is affected by stage fright? Most of the studies that we see indicate that really a, a very large percentage of musicians at some point will have some degree of fear of performance. 
we also see in, in studies with professional musicians across the world that anywhere between 15 to 20 percent of those at any given time will have severe and debilitating symptoms of performance anxiety. So what makes somebody have those severe and debilitating symptoms and not someone else, for example? I think it's important to stress that we perform in a different physical and psychological state than those in which we practice. So what happens is that we're standing backstage and we have done studies where we, we measure people in terms of their physiology and we'll see pretty uniformly that there are direct changes in how the cardiovascular system is responding to this situation. Now, that can be interpreted in a positive way or a negative way. You can actually feel these things happening in your body and you may, that may be a signal that you're ready to perform because performing is different from practicing, is different from rehearsing. It's a special occasion. But in other circumstances, people might feel that this is a threat. They don't like the feeling. They don't like the difference. It's a little bit unstable and, and unpredictable. So I suppose what we see is that for people who shift into more of a, a performance anxiety interpretation of that, it could largely be due to past experience where perhaps something has just gone wrong and they begin to build on that association and to think quite critically about what's happening in performance and then have that sort of spiral of negative thinking that leads them to think that it's going to go wrong every time. So to clarify, am I right in thinking that what you're saying is that you could have these symptoms and they wouldn't necessarily destroy your performance, but it's how you then view those symptoms? Precisely. The psychology of this is central to making a difference to it. We know pretty firmly that when you're put in a, so a psychosocial situation where many people are looking at you doing something, we will see very predictable changes in your bodily state. My prediction would be that your heart rate will go up, your heart rate variability will change, blood pressure will go up. Typical things that we see in a standard fight-flight response. But if you have a negative interpretation of that, then it begins to associate itself and can lead to a negative experience and these connections between doing what you've been preparing to do so well for the situation that you've been preparing for and then having just a negative anchor for all of that. So is it a bit like that idea when you get really nervous and you sort of flip between nerves and excitement and some one minute you think, oh, I'm really excited, but it feels quite similar. Can well, musicians reframe that with that kind of language, do you think? I think reframing and thinking about the, the act of performing as a positive experience, as one that is an instance of a process, as part of a process in one's musical career. The, the issue I find is that breaking habits of negative thinking can be incredibly difficult to do. We as musicians perform a lot. We perform so regularly that we can develop habits quite quickly. And unless we're consciously aware of wanting to do something about a negative habit, then we may not realize that we're sort of dropping into that pattern of thinking. So is part of the trick actually being aware that you're doing it in the first place? Maybe you've got negative self-talk or something like that. If we recognize that that's happening, then we have to stop. Um, I mean, the, the other thing is that this, this sort of whole issue around performance anxiety tends to be coupled with the fact that as musicians, we, we tend to be quite highly perfectionistic. We want things to go well, and it's great to have high standards. At the same time, though, if they don't go well, we need to be able to work through that and having the coping strategies in place to help you get past 
mistakes and 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 realizing that the audience that's out there they're not really there to listen for your mistakes and all the things that go wrong but for the most part the audience is really there with you wanting you to do as well as you possibly can because they put themselves out to be there to engage in this experience with you so you mentioned coping mechanisms there obviously in sean's interview he talked about some slightly unhealthy ways of coping with stage fright what other coping mechanisms are there out there for musicians to cope with the problem? We've recently done a study where we were looking the, at the extent to which musicians employ coping strategies in their day-to-day practicing and performing. And what we find is that compared with age-matched controls in the rest of the population, most musicians don't engage with a lot of constructive coping strategies. So those coping strategies are, include things like being able to focus on what you need to focus on in the moment that you have to focus on it, so not la- allowing yourself to be distracted and procrastinate. So we see that musicians um, aren't really very good at doing that. Obviously, you do a lot of work at the Royal College of Music supporting musicians with all manner of things to do with um, the challenges around their performance. And one of these is presumably stage fright. How do you support the musicians at the Royal College of Music? The first thing that we do is to try to give people a chance to practice performing. If you're working on your your pieces and you're you're, um, engaging with a range of music that you're getting ready to perform, as we've already discussed, performing that in front of an audience in a dynamic situation is really radically different than learning to perform it in quite a dull, boring practice room or rehearsal space where you don't have that sort of interplay with other people. You don't have the sort of dynamics of the the acoustics and everything else involved. So now most conservatoires, all conservatoires, will try to provide concert halls and recital halls and performance venues that give their students a chance really to get out and engage with a public But even to that extent, there's still limited opportunity because there are only so many concert halls you can incorporate into a building, let's say in central London, and you're not going to get 800 students onto that stage you know, once a week or, or once a month. So it's going to be much rarer than what we would ideally want. So in this podcast series, we're looking quite a lot at popular musicians and Obviously, quite a lot of popular musicians don't have formal training. And we heard from one musician, Nina Nesbitt, in the mental health episode. And she was talking about her her first gig. She was pretty much going on tour with, I think it was Example, and it was like an arena tour. You know, and there were thousands of people. And this is one of her first tours ever. How do you think popular musicians could get that experience of performing in front of a crowd so they can actually raise their tolerance of performing to such large numbers of people but without actually doing it. We run some courses at the Royal College of Music where, on performance psychology, and we, we focus on preparing for specific performances by way of how you rehearse and practice and how you mentally prepare for that, how you eat and sleep before and after the performance. And that's an integral part of how you can get sort of mentally fit and, and, and ready to take on this experience. Um, there's a lot of very good mental skills work that you can do in terms of imagery and relaxation and attention focusing. We try to work with students and that sort of material is available to anyone really readily in terms of the sports and exercise uh, science literature and increasingly in terms of the music psychology literature as well. What we 
do find because musicians are highly perfectionistic and they can be quite critical of things when they go wrong, they come off stage and they immediately start thinking about, well, where were the errors? Where were the mistakes? What happened? What could I do better? And I think that's the wrong sort of frame of mind to be in. That's really interesting because I know that now a lot of artists come off stage and the first thing they do is look at social media and they see responses that people have posted or they look at videos and obviously sometimes the quality of the videos isn't very good and they analyse their performance based on that but what you're saying is it's actually better just to leave it all, come back in a neutral state later on and then review properly then. I think if you are looking at how to make your performance better, then you need to look at it objectively and not to to have that tainted by this sort of um, emotional turmoil, good and bad, that can come along with the state of performance. What I would encourage, though, is, is thinking carefully about how we take our mental state through the whole process of performance, of looking at framing that sort of sense of excitement just as excitement, not as anxiety as an opportunity to showcase what you can do. And look, when you get out and do it, you do it. You you deliver the things in, in your, your music in the way that you've prepared and rehearsed. Sometimes they go right, sometimes they, they don't go right. But the audiences aren't as hypercritical as, as we often think they might be. And then once you're going through that process, then we move past it. We can't hang on to errors and mistakes. And then we review those performances when we're in a situation where we can do so objectively. How do you think popular musicians could be better supported with stage fright? One of the things that I think is a, is a real positive sign within the past 10 years is that issues around performance anxiety and some issues around mental health are starting to get on the table for discussion. This is a real radical improvement, I think, in, in quite literally just the past 10 years. And so the fact that we have a podcast such as this one and we have programs out where we can acknowledge that these issues are real issues and they're not uncommon then we can start then looking at individual solutions to to these issues but what what I will say is that performance anxiety is multifaceted and there's no one solution that will work for everybody we have to go through periods and and points of trial and error and if you have certain types of symptoms whether they're somatic in terms of the body or psychological or behavioral it's important to try to establish which of those are the ones that are causing you the most trouble and then try to to have direct corresponding ways of dealing with those So if the issue around performance anxiety is largely around the change in your physical state, then there are physical things that you can do about that. Uh, You know, so for instance, being physically fit, doing more cardiovascular type exercise is one way in which the body can become more efficient when it's dealing with stress. If the problem, on the other hand, is more psychological, then there are cognitive behavioral or mental skills training type interventions and ways of thinking that you can do to help combat those problems. So... It's a multifaceted issue. We need just to consider our own personal circumstances and then weigh up the solutions based on that. And so if a musician's listening and they're struggling with stage fright, do you know anywhere that they could access those CBT exercises or mental skills training? There is some psychological support available through the British Association for Performing Arts Medicine. There are also books that one can read. So for instance, back in the early 2000s, I edited a book called Musical Excellence, and there's a a chapter that, that 
covers uh, topics on mental skills training as well as the benefits of physical activity and exercise on on performance and specifically on performance anxiety. And just one final question. I... I've worked with musicians who some seem to think that performance anxiety is something incredibly extreme and doesn't affect them. And, and I think there's a bit of confusion around the terminology. Could you just clarify that? I mean, in terms of stage fright, stage nerves, performance anxiety, how do you see the difference? The first thing to say is that people, if they are feeling whatever term they use to describe feelings of fear or anxiety, they're not alone. And there are a lot of performers out there who are grappling with these issues and recognizing the fact that they're not alone is a, is a very good thing to do in order to realizing also that they won't be alone in trying to find solutions. Uh, I would make distinctions between stress. There's good stress and bad stress. So distress and eustress and Stress is something that we have in life, of course, and stress ha has an effect on the body. Anxiety, I often see as a negative term. When the feelings of stress start to be associated with fear, fear of failure, or perhaps personal negative appraisal, then that, that sort of shifts over more into the performance anxiety arena for me. Other terms like stage fright and just nerves like that are, are just labels that, that are out there. If you need help with any of the issues that have been raised in today's episode, you'll find links and signposts in the show notes below. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment and subscribe on iTunes as it helps other musicians find us. Please feel free to share your experiences on social media at Elevate Music Pod or you can send us an email at elevatemusicpod at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by Elevate Music and Wise Buddha in partnership with Help Musicians. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time. <laughs>